1: Welcome to another special episode of Inside the Firm, AIA Convention 2019 in Las Vegas. Today I'm here with a very special guest, Robert Wygant, CEO and co- founder of Sumex Design. Uh, I've worked, I've known Bob for about 10 years. If it wasn't for Bob, I don't think F9 would exist because he took a chance on us and we did a bunch of content creation for him from the get-go, so welcome today. Thank you, Lance. Thank you. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about right away was... Uh, Tell us about Sumex and why you you're such you're like an entrepreneur hero to me because you have you're the you're the man with a million irons in, in the fire right yeah and you've got a million legs to stand on and the idea is and, and you and I started working together in the great re- in the middle of the great recession and you had all this work and it was like it was like a godsend of oh my god I'm not gonna starve and so I've always looked up to you and tried to follow you know your ideals of of having that many uh, irons in the fire. So that I don't have so that I could be the next Bob when it comes to um, not having to lay people off and being able to sustain, you know, a nice lifestyle. Yeah. So how, where did that come from? How, how tell me about being like what has always made you an entrepreneur just from birth? Well, you know, in, in some ways, yes. And, I'll, you know, I can actually give
2: you a few interesting ones. When I was, uh, I guess, in like sixth and seventh grade. Now, actually, let's go before that. Uh, When I was in about fourth and fifth grade, I used to be able to ride my bike to school and none of the other kids could. And I had a candy store on the way to school. So I would stop in and I'd pick up candy and I'd sell it at school. And this is fifth, sixth grade. That transitioned into... Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I, I love music. I love going to concerts. So I started buying concert tickets. This is back in the day when you'd actually camp out for tickets. So I'm I'm showing my age here. <laughs> but um, you know, I used to camp out for tickets and and then I'd turn around and I would scalp them. Yes. It was called scalping then. Now ticketmasters made it, so it's not scalping. It's just reselling. Reselling. Um and I made tons of money on that. And I I loved the idea of of being able to make money by doing things that nobody else wants to or can do so you find the things that people are not capable or not willing to do um, that are relatively that are relatively quick to complete like you know you do a singular BIM program Um, you know everybody jumped on Revit and they started making things and building, building buildings and I dove into the family editor and never came out because I saw, that as, um, I saw that as a place that it, it was nebulous. Nobody really knew. There was no documentation on it. So I just spent years and years and years um, learning that family editor so I could be the top of it. And I could be the one that people wanted to come to. Um, now, on top of that, I'd say the most important thing, though, is integrity. Without integrity, it doesn't matter. If you're trying to sell people something that they don't need, not every manufacturer needs BIM. Not every manufacturer needs specs. But when you try to sell them everything, you try to give them the farm, it just doesn't make sense. And um, without that integrity, your name's going to go south at some point. Um, And I'm, you know, every iron in my fire, I expect to live in perpetuity. You know, I know that I've got a timeline for it to be profitable. Now, bim i completely underestimated it i figured i had five years at most and the window would close and when did you start when did you start diving 2005 into the okay 2005 2006 um and then from there you know launched the arcant library in 2007 2008 and um it's been gangbusters ever since uh you know i've, I've built a ton of content for a ton of manufacturers and it's been would you fun. say would
1: you say you built the most content in the world Mo any single entity uh, i don't know i, d- I don't have numbers I would say probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're trying to be modest, I will just say yes yeah i
2: mean i, I I've worked with eight hundred manufacturers, um, you know uh, the number of objects probably in the range of forty to fifty thousand, half a million materials, you know which thank you for those, Lance. you are a big, big, big part of that, and um i'm a believer in chances um you know i i'm not the I'm not the guy that's going to say well you don't have the pedigree for this you haven't done that I don't believe in the good old boys club Um, I believe in people I believe that that, you know everybody deserves a chance and a shot and you know when I saw what you were capable of and when I saw what you wanted to do it intrigued me and I I fell in love with it immediately because you had you had piss and vinegar and that was that was what I like to see and you know you're a hustler like me. You like yeah, to hustle. And you're not afraid to take the crappy job that nobody wants because exactly. it's going to pay the same.
1: Yeah. 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 And they don't teach that. They don't. You know, that's the thing I think. May, I don't know if, if that's why you noticed, you know, that in me is that uh, you work with a lot of architects. And I think a lot of architects don't want to take those any kind of jobs like that you know they're very a lot of them are very high and mighty and they are the capital a architects and they just they refuse to get down in the dirt and and do what they got to do
2: i like that capital a architects (laughs) you know because in a spec in a spec uh, that architect is capital a (laughs) absolutely no so you're i think you're spot on with that and you know um it's kind of the blue and the gray i went to college for engineering and then became a contractor so i am diametrically Positioned across from the architects, you know they wear the blue and I wear the gray or vice versa, because I'm both engineer and contractor. Neither of which really, um, you know, they don't they don't really jive in the in the architecture community all that well. Um, I think that's going to change over time with the amount of design build. I mean, w- look at what you're doing. You know, your design build develop the whole you know the whole package absolutely, and yeah. that's awesome. Um, you know, and you know when you made the call and asking me if I wanted to put money in, if timing were better, I would have. You know, you know, set the whole thing right. In. But we
1: talked about the next one. The next one's going to be bigger, better. Uh, I would love to leverage your knowledge and talk about cost efficiencies. You know, things that you see, yeah. materials. I think it'd be. Well, a great I'm, collaboration. I'm like
2: full. I uh, you know, one of one of the things that's kind of a pet peeve is redundant effort. If it can be automated, it should be, and waste. If you can eliminate waste by retasking, reusing, or just plain designing efficiently
1: you're you know you're going to be ahead of the game. I don't like dumpsters. Yeah. So, automation. I'm just going to jump ahead to one of the questions because this I've been asking everybody this. I re, you're out of all the people that I've interviewed so far at AIA, you're one of the ones I really wanted to ask this question to, okay? So, with the exponential growth of technology we've seen in the last century, it seems that automation is inevitable. I mean, full automation, right? Uh, are you at all worried that we could lose our professions to the automation? Especially if it's specifically architects? Um
2: well, y- architects, I think, uh, uh, well, I think they're diluting the, de- the, n- the nature of design um, and making it, you know, more sterile, um, you know, make because it's easier. Um, you know, it- you can automate design through generative iterative design and you can get some really cool things out of it. But I think the overall the overall feel of the building and the aesthetic, I think, will remain. I see engineering as more uh, susceptible to um, to automation, you know, being somewhat eliminated by automation, uh, more so than architecture, because architecture brings a level of art in there, and it's you know, I've seen a couple of commercials lately about you know uh, quantifying art, and um, it's interesting, but you know, because engineering is a pure science. Um, it's numbers, it's ones and zeros. When you break it down far enough, which means a computer can make the determination, thus eliminating all of the um, all of the potential human error. And that's really what engineering is all about: is you know eliminating.
1: I'll be honest with you, man. If I could get it, if I could buy a plug-in, and it was X amount of dollar, I don't even know, you know, like a five-figure number, and I could replace my engineer who won't answer the phone. I would do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. And, and nobody you, has talked about engineers being automated on, on this podcast. That's because so we're at AIA. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm talking to a non-architect.
2: Yeah, well, you know, you go to you know you go to an ASCE group or or an ASME. You know, you go to uh, ASHRAE, and yeah, you're gonna people get, people are gonna be talking about that because let's think about let's think about um, heating and cooling loads, calcs, in this building. Do you you know you can have an engineer do it. And spend a lot of time and not call you back. Not call you back. Or you could have a plug-in that is able to do all of the calcs based upon ASME numbers. That's all built in, fleshed out, and, and there. Um, now I'm probably going to piss off the, the engineer <laughs> contingent, but I'm good at doing that. You know, I, I've I, historically I've always been known as the guy that will walk into the room with a hand grenade, very, very calmly, casually, put it on the table. Pull the pin and just walk away, as nobody even notices what I'm doing, and then just sit in the back of the room
1: and watch. Yeah, one thing you've always hung your hat on that I always liked uh, that you talked about is like that uh, you you would Bill Gates it. In other words, you didn't go you you, did, you didn't finish college, but right. he, But here you are, very successful entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit more about that, and then also about like. You know, we, we've been, in society, we've been saying for a long time, you need to have a four-year degree, you need to have a four-year degree. And now we're dying for tradesmen as mm-hmm. a result of this. And we've yeah, looked plumbers. down on the, pl- oh, plumbers are the bane of my existence right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can you speak about, what, what do you think about, like, how we've trended in that way, how we've overcorrected?
2: Well, I think technology has pushed us into, um, uh, uh, I think technology has pushed us into a situation where we are less knowledgeable. Now, uh, we're less knowledgeable in hands-on uh, hands-on learning. Personally, I, every, everybody learns differently. I, you know, growing up, I was a kinesthetic learner. I, I do things and I learn. Um, I'm very much an autodidact. You, you, um, you give me something and I will figure it out one way or another. Not everybody's that way. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of unique in, in how I learn and how I do things. But, um, I think that we have we have gotten away from I think we've gotten away from the trades and and what it's done is it has increased the value of the tradesmen themselves which I think should have gone up in the first place I, I don't think they ever should have dropped as low you know um, there is there is no shame in being a plumber no. some of my good friends are are you know look I was a roofer. You know, before I was here, I was a roofer. I dropped out of college because I wanted to be a contractor. So, I, you know, I'm like, I, w- I had already been doing roofing for many years. So I stuck with it. I made a lot of money doing it. And I was happy. Um, I don't think I would have been a happy engineer. Um, so, I, and I would go swing a hammer if my body would let me. But it's just, you know, I still do my own work. Right. But I don't. Um, You know, I'm not going to hop up on a roof. I went up and cleaned my gutters last weekend, and I realized I'm not so spry on that (laughs) ladder anymore. (laughs) I had the 32-footer out, which I haven't taken out. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. And I was all the way extended, all the way up. And, yeah. Um, But, no, the whole concept of the four-year degree, um, I, I think it's a pedigree. I think it's a piece of paper that you spend a lot of money for that I think there are other ways to get. But it's not for everybody. Not everybody is going to be able to do it. You need a, a certain level of um, uh, uh, gusto of your of your own. You know, it's the same kind of person that can work remotely. If you can't work remotely without being watched, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to sort of do this sort of learning on your own. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the whole concept of the four year degree is overrated. Um, I think you know. Uh, Some of the greatest architects and engineers in the world never had a degree, never never went to school, probably never got past sixth grade. Yeah. But (laughs) nevertheless, they're brilliant. They were they were brilliant minds and were able to share their information and their knowledge and their love and their passion uh, with others. And that's really, you know, that collaboration and sharing, I think, is what makes people grow, Um, you know, because it, it makes it easier to sort of, you know, fake it till you make it if you will right because you know if you, when you don't have that four year degree you have to do that you right. have to fake it you, till yeah you make you're it. forced and what I did was I joined the EIEIO club and I got some letters after my name and after a few years people, nobody cared that um, nobody cared that I didn't have a four year degree. I don't lie
1: about it. I'm, you know, very transparent. Well, that's why that's why I, that's why I was hoping you'd talk about it, because I, I appreciate your transparent. I've always appreciated your transparency about it. And you just embraced it and owned it. Yeah, no like, fear look,
2: and just pushed forward. Yeah, look, if 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 you seem to have a an issue because I don't have a four year degree, that's fine. But I'll tell you, companies like Autodesk right behind us, they've dropped their requirement. Google has dropped their requirement. They don't require four-year degrees. I mean, my brother is another example. He dropped out of Stevens Tech in New Jersey. Uh, He was, uh, you know, uh, uh, computer engineering back in 1990. Um, And he dropped out, uh, started his own company, doing web development during the dot-com boom. Um, lost everything in two thousand in September eleventh because his he was in the J P Morgan building in New York City. Lost his entire everything was just wiped out. So instead of starting up a new firm, Microsofts had been scouting him, and they said, "We want you. And no degree, you know, just experience and knowledge. And the more knowledge you can get everywhere you go, anywhere you go, um, the better." you are going to be without that four-year degree because i think that knowledge is more valuable than what you know about hemingway or although i love hemingway um (laughs) i don't think that knowledge is going to translate into into dollars
1: yeah yeah i'd have to agree i'd have to agree if uh you've started so many companies um one thing i would like to to talk about is if you if you could if you could go back in time oh did
2: you do you know about my bagel place no. Have you seen Roly Holers? No, talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I just started up a bagel shop. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a, you're in a bagel aficionado. I am. <laughs> I, I love my bagel. I'm originally from New Jersey, yep. born and bred. Well, I was actually born in Mass, so I'm a Mass hole, but also from New Jersey, then moved to New Hampshire. So I'm like the triple threat. They all hate me up there. <laughs> um, I'm from away. Um, but I started a bagel shop because I've got legit bagels. Yeah. I, I can emulate the New York bagel in New Hampshire. Uh, without having to truck water
1: up. Well, yeah, yeah, because I've always heard it's the
2: water or something, right? Uh, well, it, it, it is in the water, but it's not what people think. Um, honestly, so you have a storefront? Not yet. Oh, okay, um, but I'm, it's on the horizon. Yep. We're, well, we're playing with it. You know, right now it's a pet project. What's it going to be called? Roly holders. Roly holders. <laughs> Trademarked. Uh, I got I my trademark it. from the USPTO the other day. I love um, it. And uh, you know, so we're just playing around with it because because I want to have fun. You only go around this. Yeah. You only go around this once, and it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something I love doing, and it's something that everybody in my house misses because we don't live in New Jersey anymore. Yeah. You know our. And the name actually came because all the bagels that we see in New Hampshire are just rolls with holes. Mm-hmm.
1: So. <laughs> That's hilarious.
2: Uh, so anyway, back to your question. Well, the
1: question is, uh, so if you if you could give somebody else who, if there's anybody listening who's thinking about starting up a company or they're right at that or they, or they have started it and they're in the first year or something, is there any big, is there like maybe a top three sets of mistakes that you have made that you would give advice to people of, avoid this, do this instead? What are just some fundamental things that you think are, are important? important for starting something up
2: well the first thing is uh the first thing is um pricing and this was something that i taught you absolutely was work in volume you know and this goes back to integrity i'm not trying to i'm not trying to pry every dollar out of every manufacturer that i talk to because that's that that will get you a project today but it will not get you residual work tomorrow and when you keep your prices effective and, and and you're not busting people's budgets they're going to want to come back for you for more work and you've got you've got an annuity client so um, keep your pricing reasonable you know and and figure out what model will work for you to make money in volume not you know if you can in the same amount of time make the same amount of money but you're doing more projects
1: it's the same amount of effort and i what I, I want to interject here with Bob's point is that. In my opinion, the key to that is you have to automate part of that process. Yes. You have to streamline it, and that's the only way you can get it to the point where it can be volume-based.
2: Well, and that's it. that's exactly it. And I, had, I worked with Revolution Design very early on to develop a set of Revit tools that allowed me to build content very, very, uh, very, very quickly, thus very, very inexpensively. Um, and I was able to pass that, pass that instead of taking that money for myself, I passed it on to the manufacturers. That's why I've worked with 800 of them, not 80 of them or eight, um, because I want to give them all a fair shake and I don't like ripping people off because I don't like being ripped off. Right. Um, yeah, so the, I'd say the, the the number one thing is, is watch your pricing. Don't try to, you know, don't try to corner the market, you know, because that's, yeah, you know, there's capitalism. Bulls do well, bears do well, pigs get slaughtered. You know, I, I think that's words to live by. Yeah. Uh, so that's um, uh, that's one thing. Two, love what you do. If you're doing it for the money, stop doing it. You're you're not going to succeed because now you're going to try to drive that price up because you you know think that it's worth this and think that it's worth that. But if you don't love and you're not passionate about it, go to work for somebody else. Um, That's really the, when you're starting up a company, it should be something that you're excited about and that you absolutely love to do. Um, Wow. Is there a third? Um, I kind of think that's it. Don't let the company own you. What does that mean? Um, Remember that you have a family. Remember that you have other responsibilities because, um, because if you don't do that, then your ex family will own half of your company. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's a good point, and we won't get into any of that kind of stuff. But it's a good point, and I know exactly what he means by that. Um, for me, when that that part of it is. You have to have discipline. Yeah. So you you need to be... If you're not a morning person, become a morning person. I think that is so critical. Get up before everybody else gets up. It's quiet. You, can, you probably are... I'm the most productive from 5 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. Amen.
2: I'm the same. Between 5.30 and 7 a.m. And from about 4 to 6 p.m. also. Because as I wind down... Um, I, I just I don't know what it is, but something in my brain makes me very productive as I'm getting towards the end of the day, which really sucks because that's when my phone rings the most. Yeah. And that's when I, I got to the point where I started turning off my phone the interruptions, turning yeah. off slack and just thinking that's where I do my best. I do my best. Well, I do my best thinking first thing in the morning and then I do my best production. I'm most I'm most efficient when I get into when I get into the
1: la- very late afternoon. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm hungry. Yeah, it could be, or there's a goal at the end of the day where you're like, okay, I'm I'm almost to the finish line, right. so I'm gonna sprint now. Yeah. It might be that, it might be that. But um, I haven't
2: I haven't really you know I haven't really deconstructed that one too much, but I, I've noticed it's just something that I noticed yeah. that uh, I get very very um,
1: you know I, I'm super productive coming towards the end of the day those are beautiful pieces of i think those are those are things you just live by absolutely i would back that up all all three of those 100 percent um okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you the last two questions that i've been asking everybody else um 3d printing was expected to transform architecture and construction but uptake of it has been slow once the technology has been adopted how do you see architects adopting it and will it usher back in the architect as master builder Long yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> I'm not buying any of that okay. at all. Uh, I think 3D printing is great for rapid prototyping. I don't see it being anything more than making a fancy little model in the middle of the office, which is being replaced by things like Enscape and 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 VR. Uh, anyway, so uh, no, uh, I
1: think. Do you I, think buildings are just too complex in order for us to you like make that happen? I mean, because like, no,
2: well, I just I don't see a reason for it. I mean, what what you know? First off, um, the polymers. That we have the polymers and resins. Um, how how photo
1: stable are they? We don't know. We don't know. Um, so it's going to take decades of. What about concrete printers? What do you think of that? I mean, honestly, you're giving me that look. I know that look, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So c- concrete flows
2: by gravity, right? Right. Okay. So um, 3D printing works uh, by printing. You know, it. it so it, it's using more energy to. Print the concrete than it does to pour it
1: down a chute. Mm-hmm. So we framed we framed our my my hesitation with the whole thing is I go look I'm I'm building a uh, 3.2 million dollar project right now. We framed everything in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Sticks are sticks. Yeah. It is automated in a sense already. In like for a hundred years we've had the same kind of dimensional lumber. We've had the same kind of systems. The guys know what they're doing. You're already bringing a bunch of prefabricated pieces and then just
3: putting snapping it, them together. Snapping
1: together. Like it's still very fast, right? Um, I think I, I'm I'm I would I would only disagree with you in in the sense that it's maybe maybe an architect can use it for a special piece of something, you know, at some point. I don't know, but it, I don't think we're talking whole buildings. are just too complex, yeah, you know, for us to yeah. And maybe
2: you know your IKEA home will have some of the the connectors and there may be parts but um
1: honestly i think cnc is yeah. more relevant than 3d printing is. yeah 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 that's a good point okay last one uh it's been 10 years since the great recession we already talked about that and it seems like we are due for another one what is one piece of advice you would give to a small firm architect or business owner as we near the end of this business cycle automate automate that's, the, that, you know, figure out where, <clears throat> figure out where
2: your fat is and figure out how and what it takes to automate and be prepared for it. You don't need to flip the switch right away, but basically it's, it's your, you know, it's your doomsday shelter so that you don't need to shutter your doors. Learn from the mistakes that you may have experienced, you know, for older firms, the ones that did experience that recession, remember, learn from don't it. forget. He who forgets is destined to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Any better. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on Inside the Firm today. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Anytime. It's always wise. a pleasure to see you, buddy. Um, where can people if people want to follow you, if people want to get in touch with your company, where, where how can they get in hold uh, of you?
2: Sumexdesign.com. You know, I don't really, you know, I don't really do much with the website because most of what I do is word of mouth. Uh com. you know, at Sumex, you know, I don't tweet much, but you know, that's where I am. Uh, I go to most of the shows. Um, you know, feel free to give me a call, 973 919 1980. I don't care. You know, I'm very transparent. I'm very open and I'm very open to business. So if somebody wants to call me and give me, uh, you know, interested in having me do some work, I there's no job too small, no job too big. Very
1: cool. Awesome. Thanks again, buddy. Anytime. And now a word from one of our sponsors. The weather's beautiful. The- Pool is open and the grill is on. It's summer, and the last thing you want to do is spend a long day in the office wrestling with broken files and archaic websites. RCAT can help you save time by putting all the building products you need into one powerful search engine. RCAT.com isn't just a list of products. However, they also host the product's technical data, like BIM and CAD files, for you to download and use in your project. To top it off, it's free to use as much as you want. You don't even need to register. So stop watching the sun go down in the office trying to find the right information. Build better content with Arcat.com. That's a r c a t A-R-C-A-T.com. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Firm from the AIA 2019 Convention in Las Vegas. I'm here with a fellow alumni I've been wanting to meet for a very long time. We're friends on Facebook. We always like each other's stuff is uh, Christy W. Hansen, and she's, she owns KHA Architects. Can you tell me, uh, I think one of the things I've always wanted to ask you is, why did, how did you get into architecture, right? You're a North Dakota native, correct? Correct. And then, why so why did you get into architecture, and how did you start your firm?
3: Um, I get into architecture mainly because as a from the time I was in seventh grade, I always knew that um, buildings interested me. And if I saw something on the outside, I wanted to know how, what it looked like and how it worked on the inside. So architecture really was my passion at that point in time. And I just, you know, my mom tried to talk me out of it and I just wasn't going to let her do it. And What did she want you to be? She wanted me to be a graphic artist. Oh okay, because I used to love to paint and um, draw pictures and all of that, but I knew that um, I'd be a starving artist if I did that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But now but you already do you do graphic artists. I think arch- architecture is part of that right? I mean we like our drawings are art, aren't they? Our oh, renderings for sure. are art
3: yeah. And I think a lot of you know certainly the architecture that we do um, has a lot of art aspects to it, which I think is really fun. So I sort of get to live both lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How did you how did you start your firm? How did that that all happen?
3: Well, I moved out to California a month after I graduated from college. And it's kind of a cool story. Um, Back when I graduated, not when you did, um, there was no such thing as the Internet. I moved to California in 1987.
1: 1987. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you moved out there.
3: Yep. And um, I got a job with a a small firm and I worked for him for two years and I worked for another guy for a year and a half and then I went to work for a developer. Uh, doing uh, all kinds of different things, I had to approve everybody's projects. That, you know, these homes that were going to be built. Um, was in charge of you know thirty, forty million dollars worth of my own projects, and then. Uh, the, so were you
1: were you the the, the architect of, for him basically?
3: No. So we would hire architects to do work.
1: Oh. At the time,
3: so I was just kind of oversaw all of their work.
1: Yeah. How did you fall into work with the developer?
3: Um, I, was I was teaching think? at the College of the Desert, which is a little community college, and they have a pre-architecture program, which is a feeder for Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh huh. And the guy who was in charge of that program actually heard about this job, and he's the one who introduced me to the guy and ended up getting hired.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of responsibility.
3: It was, but it was fun, and I think it taught me... Number one, how to talk to all kinds of different people, because if you had to have a your project approved and we would go into our development meetings, I had to have talked to the um, the civil engineer. I had to talk to the uh, golf course guys. I had to talk to all these different people ahead of time so that they would buy into my project at those meetings instead of, you know, coming up with excuses of why you shouldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Did it give you any better perspective as an architect seeing the development and the money side of things and how all of that leads up to, I mean, there's all of that kind of planning work, risk, and everything else, you know, whereas, because sometimes, you know, we'll get pulled into projects and we don't, there's none of that really. I mean, yes, there's a budget, but like we don't see the struggle that happens and where the pinch points occur.
3: Yeah, I think um, it really gives you an overview of how a whole development is built and all the different pieces that were necessary in order for a lot to be built and um, the approvals that you have to go through at the city, which are, you know, similar but different than the ones that we do, I think, individually as architects. Um, and certainly the money side of it was really um, quite interesting. And then also sort of understanding the goals of the overall development and what they want to be became an, an interesting aspect also.
1: How long did you work for the developer then? Before before mm-hmm. then finally, then did you, right after that, pull the trigger on...
3: Well, I like to say that I got fired. Um, and <laughs> Sometimes it, that's the best thing to happen to people. It though, was right? the best thing, actually. Yeah. It was in fact if I could find the guy who made it happen, I'd give him a hug now. Yeah. Um but um so it was a downturn early on in the two thousands and early two thousands. Early two thousands.
1: Dot com or boom. late
3: late late nineties, okay. I think. Okay. And uh, so my position was basically eliminated. Okay. And so I say I was fired, but I wasn't. But truly, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I really had no intention of ever starting my own company. You're serious? I'm serious. Wow. I wanted another developer job because I loved it so much. Yeah. But there were none to have. and so, um, But I had gotten my license, and so I was set, and then I had a lot of people calling me saying can you do this can you do that and the next thing i knew i was in business
1: that's amazing so you just sort of fell into it and yeah yep how many employees are you do you have now there how, how big are is your firm? eight
3: of us um but we just brought in two interns from ndsu very cool yeah Yeah. you
1: got after me for not yeah. we're not going after those interns but we're going to next spring for sure okay uh, as long as, <laughs> as, long as the
3: economy, <laughs> you better as long as the, economy still keeps
1: going, the way it's got to go uh that's a, that's amazing that's a, that's how we started our firm too was we both got laid off. It was a great recession, and then we 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 did it right. I always had the intent. Alex and I always had the intention of doing it. Oh, really? And we, like when we did the uh, uh, the post you know graduation like little get together party was on the top of the Hodo in downtown Fargo, and it was being and him and his family and my family were around, and they everybody's kind of joking like, oh yeah, Gore and cycle they'll start their firm in ten years, and then all of a sudden we started it way before we wanted to. Um, and just kind of drank water from a fire hose. So can you tell us any of those stories? Like, how about, is there any, is there any, is there, if somebody, if somebody gets into a position like you did, where you're just sort of, you sort falling into it, is there any lessons that you can remember that you could give somebody who's, you know, going to start their own firm from the beginning to not make any mistakes? You know, I mean, you're going to make mistakes, but like, is there some where you're just like, man, there was that one thing. If I could go back in time, I would do it differently.
3: Um, I mean, I think that's hard, but I think the biggest thing that I would tell somebody is that be willing to risk it, you know, and don't be so set in your ways. And you know, that like people very often will say to me, like when I'm talking to students and that kind of thing, what's your 10 year plan or what's your five year goals? And I said, quite frankly, if I had, live my life by setting goals I think I wouldn't be where I am now Um, I'm more of a fly by the seat of the pants girl and I'm sort of open to all kinds of opportunities and when they come you have to be willing to jump on them even if they scare the crap out of you and so be okay with being afraid is probably the biggest thing I think when you're starting your own company and don't be afraid to ask people who are in the industry for help because I think we all want to help each other, right? Like, I mean,
1: like another architect. Yeah. Like, yeah.
3: like if somebody said, I don't know what to do. And in fact, I had a, um, somebody who worked for me who has now started her own company and she was, she was worried about it. And I just said, look, it's going to be hard. And these are the challenges that you're going to have. But if you want to do it, now's the time, right?
1: Right. Better now than never. Right. Right. Yeah. Just jump into it. Yep. Exactly. That's awesome. um, uh, how about this? Uh, what do you do? Could you give it? Do you have any advice to share with somebody who is a small firm and they just started out and they can't afford to hire anybody to do any marketing or anything for that? Like, is there any just some what could they do on a shoestring budget? Was there anything that you did right away? I mean, you had a great network as it was, yeah. you know. So is it something along those lines where like while you're with another firm, be building a network? That you can go back to?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think just get the word out that you have started your company, that you're willing to do anything to begin with, you know, to get your name known, um, make contacts, go to the Chamber of Commerce, meet people, um, you know, wherever wherever you can do those things, I think, within your community. And each of them, I think, are a little different, but it's it's really like I don't advertise. I haven't advertised I mean, I put things in magazines basically because I want to support the magazines themselves. Mm -hmm. But all of our work is word of mouth.
1: Word of mouth, referrals, yeah. When you first started, was there any work you did turn down? Or did you kind of just say, no, I'm going to take it all until I feel comfortable and financially to say no?
3: Um, My prerequisite for doing any work, and I don't care if it was when I first started or now, is we have to have fun doing it or I'm not interested.
1: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact,
3: I literally have sat across the table from people and said, um, you know, I don't know that I'm a good match for you. And they're like, no, 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 we promise we will be your most fun client.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like setting it's setting them up to to be successful. Right.
1: Yep. Yep, I know. Yeah, one of the pitches I always give people, and, and just so everybody knows, your your main shtick is custom residential, high yes. end, right? Yeah, yes. exactly. So we do a lot of custom residential too. Mm-hmm. And when when I meet with those clients, you know, it, whatever the whoever the partners are, it's guys. You know, guys, you're you have your marriage. Just know that. This is going to be a marriage for a while. It's going to we're, we're sort of we're sort of dating and it's got to be fun and we might only do this you might only build a house once in your lifetime so let's not have a bad time. Right. I think that's like sage advice people can like pick up and take when they go off with their clients
3: well and I think it's I mean especially custom residential because it's so personal yeah and you know and people want to just get so amped up about it and it's just like look you know I don't know how many times I've said to a client we are not doing heart surgery here you know whatever we're doing it can be fixed or it can be you know we can change it or we can do whatever we want you know let's just not freak out about it
1: yeah and soften and soften the problem yeah that's exactly what clients want at the end of the day too yeah. is they just want to be they are really looking to us to the reassure, reassure them and yep. calm their nerves this is because it could be the even if it's an addition, yeah. it could be the biggest thing they ever build in their lives and one of the most stressful things right like For sure doing anything construction wise I think there was there's some article that's been floating around like you know there's there's divorce, there's losing a spouse, there's building a house, you know like those top three things that 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 could be an issue.
3: Well, and I think that, you know, the other thing I try and tell people when I meet with them, I said, my most successful projects and my happiest clients are the ones that were very clear about what they wanted and then went away and let us do it. That's awesome. Yep.
1: Yeah, very cool. So, speaking of having fun, mm-hmm. do you, how do you foster that in your firm for culture? Because at our firm, culture is everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want people, I want I want our employees including Alex and ourselves to go, Oh my God, it's Friday at five. That was a quick week, and yeah. we had fun the whole time. What, what is there any kind of activities or things that you guys do on a routine basis, like traditions or anything?
3: Uh, we obviously celebrate everybody's birthdays. Um, we celebrate anniversaries. Um, well, like
1: uh, what, marriage anniversaries, stuff no, like no, that? No, 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 no. Like, uh,
3: working anniversaries. Oh, cool. Yeah. That, I love that idea. Yeah, so every time, every year that, you know, you've been there, we have a, a you know, like we have drinks and apps, and, you, get, you know, a lot of times they get to choose what they want. Their birthdays. We always bring in lunch for everybody and that kind of thing. And then, you know, a lot of Fridays we have um, beer 30 or wine 40 or whatever we want to call it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, we're so busy working and I'm not sure that uh, we have time to even blink.
1: Yeah, that's good. Things are good right now, for sure. Unbelievable. Everybody's eating really well right now. I'm I'm very thankful for it, too. Um, How did you... How did the... So, there's... Three more questions that I've kind of been asking everybody, but one one that kind of comes to mind that's prompted by these three questions is, like, how did the Great Recession affect you? When you did, was it, you know, how, what did you do to make sure everything, you the boat kept going, you know, on the water and staying afloat?
3: Well, we were as big as, I think, 10 or 12 at that point. And um, I had two pretty senior people on my staff that I hung on to as long as I possibly could. And ultimately ended up having to let them go, which is the most horrible thing you have to do, I think, as, a, as a, an employer for reasons that, that they can't control, right? Or, your, or you. yeah, yeah. And, um, and then it got to the point where, I mean, basically, I wasn't taking a salary. My sister wasn't taking much of a salary or, or any. And so then it got to a point where I said, called everybody in and I said, look, here's the deal. And we sat around the table in our office and I said, we can do one of two things. I said, I can either pick somebody else who has to go and lose their job. I said, or we can go down to four days a week as a staff. And they chose the four days a week. Yeah. And it worked. And we did that. I don't remember how long we did it, but we did it until we got through it. And then everything picked back up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At one point in my life, I, 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 had it in my head that I wish those employers that laid me off would have done that but like we talked about earlier I'm so glad they didn't
3: yeah right exactly
1: (laughs) it was one of the worst days of my life too because I I, you know I won the Peter F. McKinsey award graduated top of the class worked my worked my butt off you know grew up on a very poor from a very poor family Native American all these things and then to get laid laid off like that it was just horrible
3: well and I mean you know isn't it funny how it's so devastating like my this I remember the, you know going to a movie in the middle of the afternoon and coming out and I was bawling because I'm just like oh, yeah. oh my god my life has no purpose right and amazingly you know now I, I look back on that and go, God, I wish I would have enjoyed that time off. <laughs> Instead
1: of wallowing. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, maybe there you go. That's a yeah. good piece of advice for people. Yeah. Enjoy. Just try to enjoy
3: it yeah, if you can, exactly. I guess.
1: Um, okay. So I'm, I'm on to the three questions I've been asking everybody, okay? Um, with the exponential growth of technology we've seen in the last century, it seems that automation is inevitable. Are you at all worried that we will lose our profession to automation?
3: No. Because somebody still has to program the stuff to do it.
1: Yeah, I like that's a good answer. So yeah. maybe we become programmer architects. Yeah, but I still think people are going to just want to be face to face too, don't you think? Oh, right. For sure. They want to have
3: fun. Absolutely, and they wa- they want to feel connected to whatever they're doing. And you know, as much as we use Alexa and all that kind of stuff, the bottom line is is it's not personal.
1: Yeah, at all. Okay. 3D printing uh, was expected to transform architecture and construction. But uptake of it has been slow. Once the technology has been up uh, adopted, how do you see architects adopting it, and will it usher back in the architect as master builder?
3: Uh, I haven't really given that a whole lot of thought. I think. <laughs> would
1: you use it if you could? If you had a three D, would you move into that realm where, you're like, we're tired of this subcontractor screwing up, we're going to pour the foundation with our machine?
3: Yes, absolutely. And I think you know some of the more complex forms that we do. I think it would be really wonderful to be able to have that option, right? Yeah. You know the curving roofs and you know that kind of thing. I think it would be amazing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I exactly. I think it would give it w- even if the architect didn't become the, it, it, they didn't, it didn't leapfrog them into being like the builder, if they were part of the builder, right? So then they, if the builder looks at a set of plans and he goes. I mean, he just kind of drools over, like, a big curvy, swervy something, and you're like, don't worry, we got it, you know? Yeah. We we can take care of that. I think it would empower the architects.
3: Well, and I think even from a standpoint of using it even as a greater tool, um, for instance, we can model it in the computer, you know, but you still need somebody to implement it in the way that you um, really envision it in reality. And, you know, you can fly through it, but if we could actually, you know, I know we can because we've done it recently, but 3D print the thing, hand it to them and say, okay, now here is what we're looking for that we can officially oh, build it on a wood smart. or yeah. glass or like that. whatever it is that we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Yeah. I want it to happen. We, I, we, I do too. We're tech, we're tech people. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last one. It's been 10 years since the Great Recession and it seems like we are due for another one. Mm-hmm. What is one piece of advice you would give to small to a small firm architect or business owner as we near the end of this business cycle?
3: Save money, stash it away, put it into an account that you don't touch, so that you have it as a rainy day.
1: Yeah, because then you were able to not do not take the salary right and keep yeah. everybody going. And I really, I that's that's pretty profound that you did that. I think like for, that's very big of you as a and forward thinking as an owner, right? Of like, yeah. That we I, that guy we eat last, right? I mean yeah. if you're the owner, that's how you should tackle it is like right. I eat last. Everybody else eats first. It's sorta of, if especially if you especially if it's a small firm like ours It's a family at the end of the day. Like you can't kind of get away from that. Those people, you know, you're working with them every single day. You probably see them sometimes more than like your spouse sometimes, right, in a week. Well, for sure,
3: I do because mine (laughs) lives in Fargo. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, Very cool. Well, thanks. Thank you so much for being on inside the firm today, Christy.
3: Well, you're welcome. So
1: glad I finally got to meet you. Likewise. Um, Where can people follow you and uh, get in touch with or find your work?
3: Uh, ChristyHanson.com is uh our website and um i'm on christy w hansen i think on instagram awesome i oh, think oh last thing
1: actually last thing can you give us a little pitch about why is it so important to give back to your university your all your alma mater
3: a little pitch because i could give you a big i pitch want to on then that. give us a big one okay um you know i think the thing for me is that I recognize that NDSU was the foundation for setting me up to be a success later, and um, it took a while for me to realize that, but once I did and came back and started giving back, um, you become so much more fulfilled, I think, as a person when you're helping other young people be successful that, you know, maybe it would have helped me had I had the opportunity to have scholarships, that kind of thing. But I think even more than that, I actually get more out of the time that I um, spend at NDSU on the advisory board and then on the foundation board, because I've met people like you, um, like other architects from around the country that are fellow NDSU alums, who I've been able to learn from that I never otherwise would have had that opportunity. So, um, I'm a firm believer also that um, whatever you give comes back tenfold, and so that's the first dollars I spend. So, always give back to your alma mater.
1: There you go. You heard it. You heard it here. Take 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 that to heart. Give back, and don't try to don't expect anything. And it it it, it does come back. I'm a firm believer in that. You put yeah. out there, and it comes back. Yes. Awesome. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Yeah. And now, a word from one of our sponsors.
0: Hey, everybody. If you are trying to learn Revit, I think you should learn from yours truly, Alex Gorenland Psycho. Uh, we have a website called RevitRocketship.com. We've been training university students, other professionals, our own staff for many, many, many years. And we made it available uh, online at RevitRocketship.com. And what's great about it is that it's broken down into Five to seven minute chunks, plus or minus on some of them, Um, teaches you everything from families uh, to uh, a whole project base. And one of the differentiators, I think, there's actually two major ones. One is we're an actual firm, uh, f9productions.com, that does a lot of work. So we are implementing practices that are true. And what that means is that we're modeling like it gets built. Uh, we're doing uh, our walls a little bit different. You'll, you'll see in the videos of why we do it, but it actually works out in the end, uh, to create a better model. We've, uh, trained a lot of people. So this is not our first go around. And the other thing too, is that you get our template, you give the actual, you get the actual template that we use, hone, develop and improve every year, um, in that system. Uh, so it's for free. So if you were starting a residential project, project, you'd start off on that. It'd have Uh, everything set up the way that we like, the way that helps you uh, go faster, build cooler cooler things, and and be more awesome. So check that out, revitrocketship.com.